morning, 1030. Very glad to see each and every one of you. Valentine's Day is this week. Hearing that, some of you got really excited. One or two woos from the crowd. Some of you got a little sad. And some of you men owe me 10 bucks for reminding you to bring home flowers and a card this Wednesday, okay? See me after the the service in the lobby. Now, the Sunday before Valentine's Day, you might expect me to preach on romantic themes, right? Like, I I could theoretically go to 1 Corinthians 13, and we could talk about what true love looks like from a biblical perspective. We might read 1 Corinthians 7 and learn about the gift of singleness, the gift nobody wants. Um, we could go to Ephesians 5 and discuss what a, a, how a godly family relates to one another. We could go to the Song of Songs and not on a Sunday morning. We could talk about all sorts of stuff from the Bible, but actually this morning, I don't want to focus on any of that. I want to read for you a story from the Old Testament that initially is going to seem like it has nothing to do with Valentine's Day whatsoever. This particular passage deals with inheritance laws from the ancient Near East. <laughs> Steamy stuff, you guys. <laughs> like real hot. Fellas, if you're going to slide into her DMs, this is not the material you want to lead with, okay? And yet, I actually do want to focus on this passage on the week of Valentine's Day because I believe there is great wisdom and great encouragement for you no matter what your relationship status is, no matter what st- uh, stage or season of life it is that you might be in. I think this story is going to be a real blessing to you. And if I was a betting man, I am, I would bet that you have not heard this story before, that this little, this little narrative is tucked away deep in the Old Testament in a place that you don't visit very often. And so you're missing just how wonderful this section of the scriptures really is. So the story takes place in the book of Numbers chapter 27. By the way, this is part of the reason some of you guys have never heard this story because it's in a book of the Bible called Numbers. You're like, I'm not going there, okay? Let me tell you why it's called the book of Numbers. The book of Numbers tells the story of the Israelites after they escaped slavery in Egypt in the book of Exodus, but before they move into the promised land in the book of Joshua. So it's this uh, story or it's these happenings that, that occurred during the four years that they wandered in the wilderness around the Sinai Peninsula. Now it's called the book of Numbers because at two different times in the book, they take a census of the people. So when they come out of Egypt, they're like, who's with us? We got to figure out who all these people are in our, in our nation. And so they take a census and then towards the end of the wilderness wanderings, a lot of those people have died off. New people have been born. They're getting ready to go into the promised land. And so they need to take another census. And so they are numbering the people. That's why it's called the book of numbers has nothing to do with algebra. All right. Now the census was really important because it was the basis for how they were going to divide up the promised land amongst the 12 tribes of Israel. So basically you needed to be counted in order to receive a portion of the promised land whenever uh, it was divided up for the clans and tribes and families and things like that. Okay, so check this out. Within that context, Numbers chapter 27, and we'll begin reading in verse one. Again, I wonder if any of you have ever heard this before. One day, a petition was presented by the daughters of a man named Zelophehad. I've practiced that name a few times this week. Probably going to say it wrong once or twice in the message. Just know that, okay? Even your pastor gets some of these words wrong. All right. One day, a petition was presented by the daughters of Zelophehad, Mala, Noah, Hogla, Milcah, and Tizra. 
Their father, Zelophehad, was a descendant of Joseph, like Joseph in the Technicolor dream coat from the book of Genesis. So he's got an important family lineage here, right? These women stood before Moses, who was the leader of the country. He's the prime minister. He's the top dog. They stood before Moses, Eleazar, the high priest, the tribal leaders, and the entire community at the entrance of the tabernacle. Our father died in the wilderness, they said. He was not among Korah's followers who rebelled against the Lord. He died because of his own sin, but he had no sons. Why should the name of our father disappear from his clan just because he had no sons? Give us property along with the rest of our relatives. So Moses brought their case before the Lord. The passage introduces us to five daughters of a dude named Zelophehad. Their father had died at some point during this 40-year wandering in the wilderness because, they point out, he was a part of the group way back in Numbers chapter 13 that didn't want to go into the promised land when God told them. Maybe you remember this story. They escaped Egyptian slavery. They come to the edge of the promised land. God says, it's time. You guys are going to possess the land. And so they send out 12 spies and the 12 spies go check it out. And they're like, yo, this place is great, except there are a lot of people there. Looks like their army could defeat our army. And so when they came back, 10 of the spies said, we should not go and try to attack these people because it's going to end badly for all of it. All of us, two of the spies, Joshua and Caleb, they said, listen, God told us the time is now we're going to be able to possess the land just like God promised. Now the people sided with the 10 spies, the doubtful spies, the fearful spies, instead of the two faithful spies. And they said, nope, I don't care what God said. The timing is not right. I'm scared. I don't want to do it. And so they didn't. God pronounced a judgment on all those people because they were disobedient and fearful. And he said, because you guys haven't been obedient, you haven't listened, you didn't side with the, the guys who were speaking rightly, you're all going to die before your uh, community, before the Israelites possess the promised land. So he's basically saying, all of you guys who were too scared to go in, you're not going to get to go in. Now your kids will get to go into the promised land. Your children, your grandchildren, they will possess the promise that should have been yours, but you missed out on because of your doubt and fear. So what the daughters of Zelophehad, man, I'm going to say that name wrong so many times. I just know I am. Zelophehad, what they said was he wasn't a part of the rebellion of Korah. He wasn't this awful, you know, terrible guy, but he, he was one of those people that refused to go in. So he died just like God uh, said he would. And so we're in trouble because the custom of their day was that only men, only male heirs could inherit land. If you were a woman, you didn't have any right to inherit the land. This was a, a big problem for these ladies because like their whole nation was about to go in and possess the promised land. This is the thing that they had been waiting for for a thousand years or more. And um, they were finally on the cusp of getting it and they were going to be denied it based on the fact that they were uh, uh, females only. This was also another bit of a problem because in uh, their day, if they didn't have land or property, if all of that dip from their father didn't pass to them, then they might not have a dowry in order to pay a future husband. Like back in the day, you had to pay a man to marry your daughter. It was wild times. All right. And the dowry wouldn't have been there or the dowry at least was under threat. And so this was actually, it, it potentially compromised their future chances to get a husband and all of these different things. We hear this story and we're like, that's really unfortunate for those poor girls and they're backwards to 
society, you know, but that's just how it goes. We think it's not that big of a deal. For these women, this could have been life or death. This could have been a, a good future or a terrible future based on how this particular set of circumstances turned out. It was really desperate for them. So verse two says, they come boldly before Moses and the high priest, the elders, the entire community. There are five single women and they are literally standing up in front of the entire nation and they make a crazy faith request. They say, we want you guys to ignore a thousand years of inheritance law and give us our father's estate despite the fact that we are women. There's a principle here. For us in 2023, one that the, the book of James explicitly says, but I think is present here in this passage in Numbers 27 as well. Sometimes you have not because you ask not. Sometimes you have not because you ask not. My friends, there is a huge difference between wanting something, wishing for something, hoping for something, and actually asking for it in faith. These poor women had every reason to stay quiet. Like there was no reason to believe that anybody was going to agree to their request, right? Every, everybody would have said, this is nuts. You're not going to get the inheritance. Women can't inherit property. They should have, if you, or if you were just going by what you might expect them to do, they would have been like, this is unfair. And I'm so upset at my circumstances. And why did God allow this to happen? They would lament and resent their current circumstances, but they would probably just accept that as their unfortunate reality. But these girls refused to do so. They refused to be quiet. They refused to just take it. Instead, they asked for something that honestly, they had no business expecting to receive. They asked for something with just enough faith that God might actually do it. Who knows? What are we going to lose if we don't ask? And I believe this is a word for somebody today that there are people here in our church that have given up praying for their crazy faith request because it's taken too long to receive an answer or because you just assume God must have said no when in reality, he's only said not yet. Or, or you're like, you know what, back then I probably had a good shot, you know, but since then I've done a lot of things I'm not proud of. And so now I can't, I can't expect God to say yes to this, right? Whatever the reason might be, you might just be tired of praying after all this time. I don't know, but can I just encourage you? You have not because you ask not in many circumstances. If you have given up, if you've been too afraid to ask, if you've been uh, faithless that God will provide for you, I hope that you'll let this particular passage encourage you that they were willing to ask for something that was so nuts, nobody should have expected a yes, but we're gonna see that is exactly what they got. Everything that happens to the daughters of uh, Zelophehad in the rest of this passage, it happens because they don't simply wish for it to happen. They don't wait for it to happen. Honestly, these ladies don't don't even work for it to happen. They just ask for it. And it turns out God has favor on them. And as a result, they possess everything they want. I hope that you understand the same is true for us. Very often we have not because we ask not. So if you've stopped asking, I challenge you to start again. I also think it's worth highlighting here in verse number five that um, Moses, so when the, when the ladies came and they, they said, hey, here's the sitch, we really believe we should inherit alongside of all the other male heirs, I can't see a good reason not to. Um, when that happens, Moses didn't be like, 
get out of here with this nonsense. Like, ever, come on, women cannot inherit property. Why are you clogging up the court system with these silly requests? Ladies, run about your business and let the man handle things, okay? He didn't do that. Instead, the scripture says he brought their case before the Lord. Moses does exactly what I'm telling you to do. When, when, when you need help, when you need wisdom, when you need a breakthrough, you bring it to the Lord and you say, God, I don't know how to handle this. I don't know what to do. I'm asking you to show up. I'm asking you to provide. I'm asking you to give me what I need. I think it's really interesting that Moses is practicing what we're preaching here today. Now, in verse number six and seven, God is going to respond. Moses brings it. Lord, what should we do here? And I want you to look uh, what, what the scripture says. The Lord replied to Moses, the claim of the daughters of Zelophehad is legitimate. You must give them a grant of land along with their father's relatives. Assign them the property that would have been given to their father. So in response to the daughter's crazy faith and Moses's humility, his willingness to go and ask God for something that seemed like it should have had an obvious answer, God does something that nobody would have predicted. He grants these five daughters the land that uh, previously they would not have possessed. It's like an incredible gift for them. It's a yes. It's the thing that they were really hoping for and desperately needed. Of course, it's awesome for these five girls, but can I tell you it's awesome for me and you as well? Because there are some truths, some principles, some realities that that were um, there for these women in Numbers 27. And I believe they're here for you and I. The same realities are are true for us in 2023. A few principles that I pulled out from the scripture that I think might help and bless you this morning. The first thing I learned from this is that past mistakes do not have to control your future. Past mistakes do not have to control your future. Consider that the girls were in this mess because of the sins of fear and disobedience that their father had committed a few years earlier. It was his fault that they were in this circumstance. Like if Zelophehad had, had just had a little bit of faith in Numbers 13, and he had said, I'm not sure what's wrong with you guys, but I side with Joshua and Caleb and God, by the way. He already told us it was time to move into the promised land. And so even if it seems like we're going to be defeated, I believe in faith that God will make a way. If Zelophehad had just had that much tiny little faith, his girls would not be in this mess. They would have an inheritance through their father. And so it was his sin. It was his disobedience from the past that was dictating what their future looked like or what their uh, current set of circumstances rather looked like. They were in this situation because of the, the mistakes and sins that had been made in the past. And yet they refused to let that past control their future. The, the, the past was dictating what was happening in the present, but it, they were not going to let it dictate what had to happen in the future. They had faith that even serious sins, like their father's disobedience and fear, that that could be swallowed up by God's mercy, that mistakes could be covered up by his grace, that even if we made a horrible decision in the past, or somebody in the past made a horrible decision and we are living under the effects of that, that does not mean that our future is compromised. It does not mean that what happened then will control what happens in the days to come. Listen, I, I counsel people all the time that desperately need this truth. Whatever you might've done, whatever might've been done to you, there is healing and hope to be found in Jesus. I know it firsthand. Your past can be cast into the sea of God's forgiveness. 
Your future can be secured by his goodness. This is the heart of the good news of Jesus, by the way. This is, listen to how the Apostle Paul puts this. Second uh, Corinthians chapter number five, verse 19. He says, for God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. This is the wonderful message of our reconciliation. In Isaiah chapter number 43, verse 25, God says, I, yes, I alone will blot out your sins for my own sake, and I will never think of them again. In in John chapter number eight, verse 36, Jesus said, whom the son sets free, free indeed. Hey, isn't it amazing how often we live under the curse and control of sins that God has already forgiven and forgotten? You're allowing the past to dictate what happens in the future. And God says, I've already forgiven that. Why are you holding on to that? I've forgotten about that. You brought it to me. You asked me to forgive it. And I told you that I did. So why do you cling to it? Why do you worry that it's compromising my good plans for you in the days to come? Your past does not have to control your future. So let me ask you, is there something that you've done? something that was done to you or something done in your life that, that you're living under the effects of and you're allowing that to control what you believe your future is. The future is not controlled by the past. It is controlled by the Father. God is the one who's in control with uh, what is going to happen. So if there's a sin that you've committed, maybe there's a word that was spoken over you by someone at some point in your life. Uh, Maybe like these daughters, it has something to do with like the family of origin that you grew up in and you feel like you're kind of cursed by the decisions of mom and dad or grandparents maybe. Uh, Perhaps there's a season in which you fell away from God. I just want to remind you that your past mistakes do not have to control your future. They can't, they will if you let them, but they don't have to. God is able to redeem. God is able to direct in new ways. Um, Listen to what Colossians chapter number one, verses 13 and 14 says, God has rescued us from the power of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his dear son who purchased our freedom and forgave our sins. God has already purchased your freedom. So you don't have to live in the chains of the past. God has already secured your forgiveness. You just have to trust what he promises about your past and your mistakes. This this story of the daughters of Zelophehad, it really does remind us that the past will only control our future insofar as we refuse to turn our future over to God. This story also teaches us that our security is found in our identity, not our circumstances. Our security is found in our identity, not in our circumstances. Now, it is definitely true that these women are in the circumstances they are. They're in the situation they are in uh, because their father sinned. And if he hadn't sinned, they wouldn't have been in such a bad spot. But it's also true that if they weren't single, they would have had a part of the inheritance in the promised land. If they were already married, these five women are still single. That's pretty clear from the context. If they were already married, then they would receive a portion of the promised land through their husband, right? And so the fact that these women were single 
it could have led them to resent their current circumstances. Like, man, first my dad dies and I'm still unmarried after all this time. And how many dates have I gone on by this point? And now I'm not even going to get a portion of the promised land because I don't have a husband. Again, they could have easily resented their current season. They could have blamed their singleness as the source of their trouble. You can imagine that they probably would have felt some pressure to secure a husband so that they could secure an inheritance. Like they, they, they probably felt some push, whether internal or societal expectations to like leave this season behind to get past the singleness and get to the next stage. If I could just get to the next checkpoint, milestone, accomplishment of getting married and starting a family, then I can receive this blessing that should have been mine all along. How often are you and I guilty of that same sort of thinking? We look at our current circumstances and we despair. We fear that things are not going to get better for us unless our, our circumstances and situations change. So we're always looking ahead. We're always thinking, well, if I could just get there, then I'll be peaceful. If I could just get there, then I'll be happy and satisfied. Once I graduate, once I get a girlfriend, once I get a firm diagnosis, once I get out of this marriage, once my kids are out of diapers, once my kids are out of the house, once I get my promotion, we're always thinking about the next stage, the next chapter, and assuming that God's blessing is going to be there. Once we get there, we'll finally have it. But what this story reminds us of is that God's blessing is present here and now. It's with you in this chapter. There are good things about the circumstances that you find yourself in. In fact, some of what God may be trying to do, he can only do in this season of your life. There are things that God can only accomplish in your singleness. And so if you rush too fast beyond the singleness, you might miss the thing that God wants to do in this season. There are things that God can only do when you are trying to work through the ugliness of a strained and breaking marriage. And if you work too hard to be free of that too quickly, you can miss some of what God wants to do in that season. There are some things that God can only do when finances are super tight. Things that he wants to teach you, ways in which he wants to help you to learn to trust him. But if you, if you hit that scratcher and you get five grand on the, on the spot, then God's not gonna be able to teach you that same lesson of faith. If we move too quickly out of our current season, we might miss what God wants to do in this current season. See, it wasn't the lady's circumstances that needed to change in order for them to have security. You know what they needed? They needed to claim their identity. They needed to claim their identity in order to discover the security that they felt like they were lacking. One of the things I love about this, this is part of the reason the story sticks out to me so much, is that the text individually names all five of these women. Like I wouldn't, I wouldn't bat an eye if the Bible had said there were five daughters of some guy named Zelophehad and they came to Moses and said, right. If they had, if, if the text had just gave us like the fact that there were five women, they're kind of nameless, faceless individuals maybe, but you know, no, the scripture actually names each one of them individually. They weren't just five random nameless, faceless women. No, this was Mala and this was Noah. This is Hogla and Milka and Tizra. If you're looking for some baby girl names, <laughs> there's some good ones here. Not Hogla though. That's more of an Edmonton kind of name. All right. We don't, hey, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Okay. 
these were not just faceless people. This was somebody's, these were somebody's daughters. They had, they had an identity. They had a family. They had a past. They had a story. They had a future. These were God's daughters as much as they were Zelophehad's daughters. And so the text takes the time to call them out by name. And, and it isn't until that they step into their identity. Like understand their entire claim, the entire ask that they would receive the inheritance is based only on the fact that they were their father's children. They're like, it's, it's not fair that just because he was a girl dad, not a boy dad, that his kids don't receive the inheritance. And so their claim is based on their relationship to their father. Their security is found in their identity as the children of their dad. Are you tracking with where I'm going with this? Your circumstances may or may not change anytime soon, but your identity as a child of God is fully secure. And for that reason, you can live in confidence and faith. Listen to what Romans chapter number eight, verses 14 and 15 tells us. All who are led by the spirit of God are children of God. And you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as children by whom we cry, Abba, Father. Paul says, like, your relationship with God is like the relationship of a father and his child. He is your heavenly father. In fact, when he uses that word Abba, Abba is an Aramaic term that's closer to daddy than it is father. Father's so, like, formal, you know what I mean? Um, No, he's saying, like, he's your dad. He loves you. He has a good plan for you. He points out that we are God's children. And so... If we were to start to live in our identity as the children of our father, we would start to see more blessings and breakthroughs in our life. If you would claim the identity of your father, no, no, I am his. He created me. He redeemed me. He set me on a new course. If you would claim and live in your identity, then your fears would start to disappear. Your self-esteem issues would soften. Your, your uncertainties and anxieties would start to dissipate just a little bit because you have more confidence in who you really are. You're not living to always prove yourself. You say, nope, that's my dad. And so the blessings are mine just by virtue of my relationship to him. That's why I love that song that we did today. Ooh, just the mention of his name. If we would just mention the name of our father, if we would just mention the promises that he has guaranteed to us in scripture as his adopted children, we would start to see the blessings that we desire. Now, I know there are some of you that are here today and you relate to God as father. Like that's just the way you think of God because you have that personal relationship and you know, you, you, you've been that way for a long time. You do think of him as your loving heavenly father. But I know that there are also some of you that are here in the room. And when you think about God, you don't think about God, the father. You're like, no, I, I think of him as like the cosmic policeman. He's the judge. Um, he's the, the genie that's supposed to give me what I want. I don't really think about him in terms of father, father. 
But do you know that this is the primary way that God reveals himself to his children? Like this is the, the metaphor that God uses when he wants us to understand who he is and how he relates to us. He wants you to have the relationship with him that you would have with a good, kind, loving heavenly father. God was going to be the father for the daughters of Zelophehad after they lost him. God is going to be your father if you allow him to do that. Oh yeah. Like if you say, I don't relate to God as a father, do you know the only thing you have to do in order to start relating to him that way is to say yes to him in prayer. That is it. That's as as complicated as it is. You don't need to give money to the church. You don't need to go on some big, great pilgrimage. You don't need to get your life right. All you have to do is say, God, I am so tired of doing life my way. It's not working. I want to do things your way. I want you in my life. I want to know you as my heavenly father. I want to experience your forgiveness, your goodness. If you've got a good plan for people like me, I'm here for it, God. All you have to do is say yes. And because of his mercy, because he loves you, because you are his child, you've run away. Sure, you've been wayward and rebellious, just like we all have. But if we'll return home to the father, then he'll embrace us each and every time. Now, the story doesn't end here. Actually, it gets even better, okay? Because, like, you you might expect, okay, the the girls come, they make this crazy request, everybody expects there's going to be a no, they get a yes, and then you think, well, that's wonderful for these girls, but the blessing doesn't stop with the five daughters of Zelophehad. Look at verse number eight. Uh, so Moses has just brought the claim to the Lord. The Lord says legitimate, assign them the property that you would have given to their father and give the following instructions to the people of Israel. If a man dies and he has no son, then give his inheritance to his daughters. And if he has no daughter either, transfer his inheritance to his brothers. If he has no brothers, give the inheritance to his uncles. If his father has no brothers, then give the inheritance to the nearest relative in his claim. This is now a legal requirement for the people of Israel, just as the Lord commanded Moses in this particular instance. Wow. You guys, like these girls showed up. They made this wild request. Honestly, everything in the text tells us they were just worried about themselves. I don't mean that they were selfish or anything like that, but like they were weren't trying to change society or anything. They just wanted justice in their own lives. And so when God saw that these girls were willing to ask in crazy faith, he said yes to their request. Now, I believe with all of my heart that it's not like it's not like God had never considered how this might play out. He wasn't up in heaven. He's like, well, dang, I never really thought about what happens if all the boys die and only the girls are left. What are we going to do about this? I don't think so. I think actually God always wanted his daughters to have the same inheritance. He was just waiting on some to step up and ask. This could have happened a long time ago if somebody would have just been bold enough to ask. But when it did happen, God says, I'm so pleased with this that I'm not going to just bless you five. I'm going to bless every other woman in the nation of Israel. But God wasn't all only blessing the women in the nation of Israel. He was also blessing every man because up until this point, every man had to live under the fear that if his wife didn't produce a son for him, then his inheritance was going to be lost. His family name was going to die out. But God was guaranteeing that he was going to provide and take care of all of his children in the years to come. You know what the principle is here? The lesson, God can use my hurt to help others heal. God can use my hurt to help others heal. 
Second Corinthians chapter one, verses three and four says this praise be to the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who is the father of compassion and the God of all comfort. He comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we have received ourselves from God. Listen, I know seasons of life can be really hard and there can be this desire to like get past it or to heal or for the the circumstances to change. I really, I understand all of that. But part of what God wants to do is to use whatever it is that you might be going through to help others that are going through similar circumstances. I'm not minimizing in any way, shape or form what you are dealing with and what you're feeling. Um, It's not lost on me that although the daughters of Zalafa had received the, the inheritance, their dad was still gone and they were still single and they didn't know what the future held for them. It's not like suddenly all their problems went away. No, the problems were still there, but they had a sign of God's faithfulness and presence in the middle of their hard times. And then they had the opportunity to let their pain, let their hurt uh, minister and bless the other people in their world as well. This is part of what God wants to do when we go through difficult seasons. He wants to use us to then give comfort and aid, encouragement, help to people when they need it. Do you know this is what we mean when we say life overflowing? Uh, The mission of our church is life overflowing. Not merely that God would fill me with all the blessings, but that God would so fill me with all the blessings that I cannot contain them myself. They have to be shared with the world. They're not meant only for me. They're meant for all of you guys. And they're meant for your coworkers. And they're meant for your neighbors. And they're meant for everyone. God wants to use our circumstances, even our hurt, to help others to heal from their trauma and pain. It doesn't always make things easy. But it does give some purpose. And it does help us to see that God has not forgotten us in the middle of our hard times. Have you guys ever heard this story before? The daughters of Zelophehad? Like a couple of you have, but most of you have not. The Bible is so full of these sorts of stories. Just little, little vignettes of God's goodness and his faithfulness. My hope and prayer for you today is that you're encouraged to ask for whatever it is that's on your heart to believe that God would grant it in faith no matter how ridiculous it might seem if it's in line with his will (laughs) and that you would walk in the security of your identity as his son or daughter and not allow life circumstances to rob you of the blessings that he wants to give you. God, would you just uh, illuminate your word in our heart? I pray that we would continue to think about this story in the days to come and that God, it would give us greater insight into who you are and what you want to do for the people that claim your name. God, would you meet with us today? Would you heal our hurts? And would you help us, God, to to minister and bless the world around us? We love you and thank you and pray this all in Christ's name. Amen. Amen.